Bezrat Hashem, we continue with Maseches Temura. We are on the top of Dafchaf Aleph Amad Aleph, 21a, and we're going to start a new Mishnah. Regarding the substitute of a firstborn offering and the substitute of an animal tithe offering and the offspring of those substitutes and the offspring of their offspring until the end of time, the halachic status of these animals is like that of a Bechor, a firstborn offering, and like that of an animal tithe offering in the sense that they have to be treated with Kedusha with sanctity. They graze until they become blemished, and at that point, they can be eaten in their blemished state. The substitute of the Bechor by the Kohanim, and the substitute of the animal tithe by their owners. So they're not sacrificed on the altar like the original Bechor and animal tithe offerings. The Mishnah, the Mishnah continues, what's the practical difference? What's the nafkamina between a, a Bechor offering and an animal tithe offering and all the other different types of sacrificial animals? So the difference is, the Mishnah says, that all the other sacrificial animals that were blemished and redeemed, they're sold in the butcher's market. And they're slaughtered in the butcher's market. And they're weighed and sold by the litra, which is measurement. In the same manner that a hulin animal, that non-sacred meat is, is shechted and sold. This is the case regarding all consecrated animals except for the bachor and the animal tithe offerings. And those are sold only from the home. And they're not sold by the litra. In addition to this, all the sacrificial animals that become blemished are subject to redemption through sale, meaning you can pay money for them, at which point the money becomes sacred and you have, and the animal then becomes a chulin animal. And the substitute are also subject to redemption through sale. This is true for all consecrated animals except for the bachor and the animal tithe, the maser offering, which are not subject to redemption at all. And all of the sacrificial animals that come to be sacrificed in the temple, even from outside of Eretz Yisrael, except for the Bechor and the animal Maser, which should not be brought from outside Eretz Yisrael initially. However, if they did come in unblemished, they are sacrificed in the temple, like a regular Bechor or an animal tithe offering that comes from inside Eretz Yisrael. And if they're blemished, they can be eaten in their blemished state, the firstborns by the Kohanim and the animal tithes by their owners. The Mishnah continues, I'm a Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon says, what's the reason for this last difference? The reason is that the firstborn, the Bechor, and the animal tithe offerings have a remedy in their place outside Eretz Yisrael, meaning they're able to graze until they become blemished and then they can be eaten there. It's not necessary to bring them to Israel in order to eat them. But regarding all the other types of sacrificial animals, even if a blemish develops in them, so these animals maintain their kedusha, their, their sanctity, and a person has to redeem them and bring another offering with their money uh, that they get from the redemption. So therefore, even when they are unblemished, it's proper to bring these animals themselves to Eretz Yisrael. So we start the Gemara, Amar Rava, Bar Rav Aza. Rav, uh, Rava Bar Rav Aza says that they inquired in the West. In the West means in Eretz Yisrael, because it's west of Babylonia. So the answer, the question is, what is the halacha regarding one who uh, inflicts a blemish on the substitute of a bechor or on the substitute of an animal offering? Person does it in, intentionally or, or or even unintentionally. Do we say that since they're not sacrificed on the altar like the actual bechor or the actual animal tithe offering, so a person who does this isn't liable because the prohibition? So there is a prohibition against inflicting a blemish on a sacrificial animal, but it applies only when uh, you disqualify the animal from the Mizbeach. And that's not the case here, because these were never going to be sacrificed on the Mizbeach. Or maybe you, since they are sanctified, they have holiness, 
maybe he is chayev, he, he's liable for the Avera of inflicting a blemish. Amar Leir, Abaye, Abaye says to Rav Abaravaza, and he says, let, let the dilemma be raised in the case of one who inflicts a blemish on other types of sacrificial animals, such as the ninth animal that's counted while selecting the animal tithe, which was mistakenly declared to be the tenth. If you remember, the way they would do it is that every ten they would, they would count and, and they would mark those animals. Uh, what happens if you miscount? We, t- we discussed this in a very early shear in this Masechta. So this animal is consecrated uh, in that one is prohibited, you can't work it and you can't shear it until it develops a blemish. Uh, and it, but it can't be sacrificed on the Mizbeach. Ella, rather. So what's different about this ninth animal that was miscounted and was called the tenth? That you didn't raise the dilemma about it. So it's because the Rachamana, Hashem, excludes it. Because the Pasuk says in Vayikra 2732, the tenth shall be holy to Hashem. So this serves to exclude from the Mizbeach the ninth animal that was mistakenly counted to be tenth. So you can get from this that one who inflicts a blemish upon this ninth, this ninth animal is not chayev, is not liable. But here, and here too, regarding the substitute of a Bechor, Hashem says, he excludes it from the altar, because the Pasuk in Bamidbar 18.17 says, but the Bechor, you shall not redeem, they are holy. So this indicates that they, the Bechorim themselves, the firstborn themselves, are sacrificed, but their substitutes are not. And it can be derived from here that one is also not liable for inflicting a blemish upon the substitute of a Bechor. So Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak teaches us, a st- uh, that statement in this way, which is the opposite way of the previous version. He, so Rav Nachman teaches it like this. Rav Acha, the son of Rav Azza, said that they inquired in the West, in, in, in Israel, in the case of one who inflicts a blemish upon the ninth animal that was mistakenly counted while you're doing the animal tithe. So what's the halacha? Abai says to him, let the dilemma be raised regarding one who inflicts a blemish upon the substitute of a Bechor offering or the substitute of an animal tithe offering. So rather, what's the difference about the substitute of a Bechor or the substitute of an animal tithe that you didn't raise the dilemma about them? Because the Rechamana excludes them because the Pasuk says they are holy, which indicates that they themselves are sacrificed, but their substitutes aren't. So with regard to the ninth animal that's counted while you're selecting the animal tithe, Hashem also excludes it because it says the tenth. So this excludes from the altar the ninth that was accidentally counted to be the tenth. The mission taught that although the firstborn, the Bechor, and the animal tithe offering shouldn't be brought from outside Eretz Yisrael Lechaschila initially, if they came in unblemished so they can be sacrificed, be Diebet, after the fact. So regarding this issue, the Gemara raises a contradiction. So there was an incident where a person named Ben Antigonus brought up a, a Bechor animal from Babylonia in order to sacrifice them, and they didn't accept them in the temple. Rav Chisa said, this is not a kasha, it's not difficult. The, this statement in the Mishnah is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yishmael, while this case of Ben Antigonus is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. And we learned in Abraisa, the Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yishmael had a mechalokis over this, a disagreement over this. Rabbi Yossi says, three matters in the name of three elders. And these three elders that he says them are Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Akiva, and Ben Azai, each of whom issued a different statement regarding a Bechor and the second tithe, Maser Sheni. Rabbi Ishmael says that one may have thought that a person can bring up a Maser Sheni, second tithe, in the present day to Yerushalayim and eat it in Yerushalayim. But the opposite conclusion should be brought from a logical reference from the Halacha of a Bechor. 
So the Bechor requires that it has to be brought to a specific place, and that's, that place is Jerusalem. And the Maser Sheni requires that it be brought to a specific place as well. Just like the Bechor is eaten only in the presence of the temple, so too the, the Maser Sheni is eaten only in the presence of the temple. But we can refute this. The Gemara says, no, if you said that this is true regarding a Bechor, that it can be only eaten in the presence of the temple, as the reason why is it would require placing the blood and the sacrificial portions of the offering on the Mizbeach. But should you also say that this is the case regarding the Maser Sheni, so which, which doesn't have this rule? So rather, perhaps you're going to say that the halacha of eating the Maser Sheni in Jerusalem in the present is derived from a, a comparison to uh, the first fruits. So first fruits says the Gemara, requires that they be brought to a specific place, meaning Yerushalayim, and the Master Shani requires that they be brought to a specific place. So just as the Bikurim, the first fruits, may be eaten only in the presence of the temple, so too the Master Shani may be eaten only in the presence of the temple. Again, you have a flawed comparison, though, because what's unique about the Bikurim? So they're unique in that they require placement before the Mizbeach. You have to put them in front before the Mizbeach, because the Pasuk says in Devarim 26.4, it says, The Kohen shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of Hashem your God. So perhaps it's for this reason that they have to be eaten in the temple, because that's where the Mizbeach is. So should you say that this is also the case regarding Maser Shani? No, it's not obligated in that. Uh, you don't have to put the Maser Shani in front of the altar. Talmud Lomar. The verse comes to teach us regarding the Maser Shani. It's a, a Pasuk in Devarim 14.23. And the Pasuk says, And you shall eat it before Hashem your God in the place that he shall choose to cause his name to dwell, the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the bechor of your cattle and sheep. So this verse compares the Maser Shani to the firstborn. Just as a bechor is eaten only in the presence of the temple, so too the, the Maser is only eaten in the presence of the temple. That's the statement of Rabbi Ishmael. So now the Gemara is going to talk about this statement. But let the inference go back and compare the Maser, the, the tithe, to the, both the firstborn and the Bikurim together. And let the Halacha of the second tithe be derived by Gezer Shoah from the common element, which is uh, of the two sources, which is just as the Bechor and the Bikurim, the firstborn and the fruits, they have, both of them require that they have to be brought to a specific place, meaning Jerusalem, and they're not eaten in the present time, so too the Maser, the tithe, which also requires that it has to be brought to Jerusalem, shouldn't be eaten in the, in the present time. So Ravashi, Ravashi says, the halacha of the Maser Sheni cannot be derived like this, because it can be said, so what's unique about the common element of these, of these cases? What do they have in common? So it's, what's unique is that they have an aspect of their halacha that involves the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach plays a part in in their laws. The Bechor has to have its blood and the sacrificial portions put on the altar. The Bikurim, as we said, have to be placed before the altar, the, the first fruits. But there's no obligation regarding the Mizbeach, the altar, that would apply to the Maser, the tithe. So according to Rabbi Ishmael, a Bechor, a firstborn, is not eaten in the present times. But with regard to the second tithe, he's uncertain about the Halach. So the Gemara asks, so what does he hold? If he holds that the initial consecration both sanctified Yerushalayim for its time and sanctified Yerushalayim forever, which includes the period after the destruction of the temple. So then a Bechor is no different, and a second, and the tithe is no different, because both can be brought to Yerushalayim. 
So in the case of a Bechor, an altar may be built upon which it can be offered, but, and the Maser, it could be eaten in Jerusalem. And the presence of the temple itself is not really required, because Jerusalem, in this case, is sanctified forever. But if he holds the opposite opinion, that the initial consecration that gave Jerusalem its holiness was only for its time, but didn't sanctify Yerushalayim forever, so he's still uncertain about what to do about the Maser, because you can raise the dilemma regarding then of the Bechor. So the Gemara says, actually he holds that the initial consecration made Jerusalem holy forever, for its time, but didn't sanctify, sanctify it forever. So here we're dealing with a case where the blood of a, of a Bechor was sprinkled upon an altar before the, before the uh, Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. And then the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, but its flesh was still in existence. So since if the blood is still there, and it had not yet been sprinkled upon the altar, it's, it's not subject to the sprinkling. Why? Because the, the temple has been destroyed, unfortunately. And consequently, the meat of the Bechor can't be eaten. This halacha comes and is derived from the halacha of the dam, of the blood, which is based upon the verse in Bamidbar 18, 17 and 18. And it says, And you, you shall sprinkle their blood against the altar, and their flesh, the meat, shall be yours. It teaches us that the meat can be eaten only when the blood is able to be sprinkled upon the altars. We don't have that situation now because we don't have the base of Mikdash. By contrast, there's no mix, there's no comparison regarding the master, this the tithe, because and therefore Rabbi Ishmael remains uncertain about what to do there, whether it has to be eaten in the present time in Jerusalem. So we flip over to the Chaf Aleph Amma base. So then, Rabbi Yishmael holds that a firstborn, a Bechor, definitely can't be eaten in the present time. Why? Because he said just a few minutes ago that, that uh, the sanctity was the initial sanctity. So he says that the Maser comes and its status is derived from its juxtaposition with the Bechor. So the Gemara asks, how can we derive the halacha of sacrificial food from, one, from each other? Doesn't Rabbi Yochanan say, in the entire Torah, we can only derive that which is derived from a halacha that was itself derived from another source. So you can't do that except for the case of sacrificial animals where we don't derive that which is derived from that which was already derived from another source. It's a complicated uh, turn of phrase in the Gemara. So Rabbi Yochanan's opinion is, is saying is that in the, in the whole Torah, we are able to derive a law which is then derived from a, a, a second law. So you have law A, law B. Law B was then derived from another source. So you can do this in the Torah. This is a manner of exposition. However, you cannot do this regarding sacrificial animals. Because for sacrificial animals, we don't derive the law for law A from a law that was law B, which was then derived from another source. Another source being letter C, for example. It's a little bit complicated, but Rabbi, but Rabbi Yochanan is pointing out a, a, a rule of exposition here. The Gemara answers, the Maser is chulin. The Maser is, is non-sacred. So therefore, we, this, the way we derive this law doesn't pertain to, to holy items. You might ask a question. So this works out fine, according to the one who says that we follow the halacha that is derived. So in that situation, if there's a consecrated item, 
So it can't be derived from another halacha that was derived from another source, if it's holy. However, if it's chulin, if it's non-sacred, which is what a second tithe is, so it can be derived like this. But according to the one who says that we follow the halacha that teaches it, what is there to say? In this case, the halacha that teaches means the source of uh, where you derive the halacha from. And, this, and in our case, it's the meat of the bachor, which is a consecrated item that is derived itself from the status of the blood of the firstborn. So when you have the ability to properly utilize the blood of the bachor, so then the, the flesh would be yours to eat in Jerusalem. But since we don't have the temple now, we see in a minute that that would not apply. So the Gemara says exactly that. It says the status of the meat and the blood are really like one matter. So therefore, the meat is not considered derived from another halacha. They're saying that the, the, blood, the blood of the Bechor and the meat of the Bechor really are the same thing for the purposes of, of deriving laws. Okay, so the Gemara says a second statement of Rabbi Yossi from the Chachamim, which is a continuation of this b'risa. He says, Rabbi Akiva says that you may have thought that a person can bring up a Bechor from outside uh, Eretz Yisrael to inside Eretz Yisrael when the temple is standing and you can sacrifice it there. So therefore, the, the Pasuk in Devarim 14.23 says, And you shall eat before Hashem the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, of your bachor, of, of your herd, and of your flock. Rabbi Akiva derives from here that only from the place that you bring the tithe of the grain, which is Jerusalem, so from inside Eretz Yisrael, that's the only place that you're able to bring up a bachor to the temple as an offering. However, from a place that you cannot bring up the tithe of a grain, which is anywhere outside of, of Israel, so you can't bring up the Bechor from there. So therefore, the statement of the Mishnah, that if you did bring up an unblemished Bechor from outside uh, Eretz Yisrael, it can be sacrificed. This, this uh, opinion is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. So contrast this to the, the statement of Ben Antigonus, which says that first offerings, the first but before offerings from Babylonia, that he brought them, and so they were not accepted as offerings. So this would be then in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, which we just said. The Gemara is going to talk about a third statement, which is Ben Azai. Ben Azai says that you may have thought that a person can bring up the Maaser, the second tithe, and eat it at any place that overlooks the city of Jerusalem. However, this could be brought from a Gezer Sheva. Not necessarily a Gezer Sheva, but a logical inference. And the inference goes like this. So a Bechor offering requires it that it be brought to Jerusalem. And the Maser, the second tithe, requires that it be brought to Jerusalem. So just as a Bechor animal is eaten only inside the walls of Jerusalem, so therefore the second tithe should also only be eaten inside the walls of Jerusalem and you can't eat it overlooking the city. So there's a refutation to this. And the Gemara says, so what's so unique about a Bechor? The unique feature of a Bechor is that it requires that you have to put the blood and the sacrificial portions on the altar. So should you say that also, this is also the case regarding the Maser, the tithe, but it's not required for the tithe. Therefore, the Pasuk says, and you shall eat before the Lord your God. And in the place which he shall choose to cause his name to dwell, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, 
of your wine and of your oil and of the bachor and of your flock. So the verse puts together, mixes up the, the words, includes them together of the maser and the firstborn and teaches us that just as the bachor is eaten only inside the walls, so too the, the maser is only eaten inside the walls. So the Gemara wonders, so what is so difficult? Uh, what did ben Azai find to be difficult that would make him say that a person might have thought that it's permitted to eat the second tithe in any place that overlooks Jerusalem? So the Gemara says, you can say that it's difficult for ben Azai because we learned in a Mishnah in Megillah 9b that the difference between the tabernacle, the Mishkan in Shiloh, and the base of Metesh in Jerusalem is only that in Shiloh, one eats the offerings of lesser sanctity. And these are like, for example, individual peace offerings or a Thanksgiving offering and the Pesach offering. Those are considered um, Kedoshim Kalim, which is like lesser sanctity uh, uh, offerings. So you eat those and you eat the second tithe any place that overlooks Shiloh. But in Jerusalem, one has to eat them only inside the walls. So likewise, offerings that are kodshe kodshim, the most sacred, are eaten only in the area within the hangings, meaning within the, with the hangings that surrounded the courtyard in the Mishkan, which when it was in Shiloh, which is this, like similar to the area of the surrounding walls in the temple in Yerushalayim. So lest you say that even in Yerushalayim, they can bring the maser, the second tithe, and eat it at any location that overlooks the walls, since unlike the Bechor, the second tithe doesn't have, to, doesn't have any unique chumrah, like a stringency for it to be brought in and like specifically eaten in front of the Mizbeach. So Kamash Malan, the verse teaches us that this isn't so, as we learn in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yossi is going to say one more statement in the Brisa regarding a Bechor. So in Bechoros 26b, the Mishnah says that a firstborn animal is eaten from one year to the next, meaning it has to be eaten within that first year. As the Pasuk in the Varim says, you have to eat it year by year. Rabbi Yossi adds that others say, uh, one might have thought that a Bechor whose first year has passed should have the same status as a disqualified uh, regular consecrated animal, and therefore it should be disqualified. However, the Pasuk states, and you shall eat before Hashem your God, the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and of the Bechor, etc. So the verse juxtaposes the Bechor animal, to the second tithe. And that teaches us that just like the second tithe is not disqualified from one year to the next, so too if a Bechor animal is not disqualified from one year to the next. The Gemara raises a question. According to the Rabbanan, the rabbis, in this case, Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi Akiva, and Ben Azai, uh, who expound this verse for a different explanation, so where do they derive that a Bechor animal is not disqualified from one year to the next? The Gemara says that let them derive it from the verse you shall eat it before Hashem your God year by year. So the phrase year by year indicates two different years because the word year is written twice, thereby teaching with regard to a Bechor that it's not disqualified from one year to the next. So the Gemara asks, according to the opinion of the others who derive this halacha from the juxtaposition of the Bechor and the second tithe, regarding what do they interpret, how do they interpret the, pasuk, the part of the Pasuk that says you shall eat it before Hashem your God year by year? The answer is, so it's necessary for that which we taught in Abraisa regarding the time for the consumption of the Bechor. So the phrase year by year teaches that there is a certain way in which it has to be eaten over two different years. It could be eaten in two different years. So during one day of this year and during one day of the next year, so basically on the last day of the year when it, when it flips over. 
So the pasuk therefore teaches regarding a bechor that it has to that it can be eaten from two days and one night in between. So the Gemara asks, and the Rabbanan, so Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Akiva, and Ban Azai, where do they derive this halacha that a firstborn offering has to be or could be rather eaten for two days and one night? So the Gemara brings their proof from a, a pasuk in Bamidbar eighteen eighteen. It says, and the meat shall be yours, like the breast of the waving, and the right thigh shall be yours. So the repetition of this word of this phrase, it shall be yours, is said twice. It teaches us that a person can eat the first debachor for one more day than a, than you would be able to for a standard Thanksgiving offering. Um, and a standard Thanksgiving offering can only be eaten for one day and one night. So there you get the extra derivation. We will return to you, Perik Elu Kodshim. Start a new chapter and a new Mishnah. On the bottom of, very bottom of 21b, Mishnah says, the offspring of a sin offering, and a, the substitute for a sin offering, and a sin offering whose owner has died, have to be set aside and they're left to die. With regard to a sin offering that's not fit for a sacrifice because its first year from birth has already passed by, and a sin offering that was lost, and then it was found, it was blemished, if it was after the owner achieves his atonement through sacrifice of another animal, the blemished animal dies, is left to die, and it doesn't render a chulin animal that's exchanged for it to be a substitute. Furthermore, the Mishnah says, one may not derive benefit from any of these sin offerings initially. But if you did derive benefit from them, after the fact, you're not liable to bring a sin offering for the misuse of a holy item. And if this lost animal was found and discovered then to be unfit before the owner achieves his atonement for his sin with a different animal, so it shall graze until it becomes blemished, and then it's sold. Then you have to bring another sin offering with the money that you get from the sale. And then this animal renders a chulin animal that's exchanged for it to be a substitute, and a person who derives benefit from this animal is then liable for misusing it. So that's the Mishnah. As we flip over to Daf, Chav, Beis, Amad, Aleph, we're going to start with the Gemara of this Mishnah, the first Mishnah of the new Perak.